brought to you by Penguin. Doctor Who, The Wintertime Paradox by Dave Rudden, read by Sophie Aldred. Chapter 1. He's Behind You. It was said in the dark corners of the universe that the fury of a Time Lord could burn worlds. It was whispered in Radlairs and Necrodomes and other shadowy refuges too dangerous to name aloud that the Time Lords had meddled so long and so deeply with the fabric of the cosmos that their will had become a law unto itself. The rage of Gallifrey was a celestial event. No being could stand against it, no more than one could weather a black hole's hunger or the fury of a newborn star. And of all those wayward, volatile children of time, none was more feared than the Doctor, for his fury had burned the Time Lords themselves. What do you mean? he whispered. You don't like Panto. Rose Tyler shrugged. Just think it's a bit silly, that's all. Cyan lights chased each other around the walls. Honey-hued pillars curled from floor to ceiling, like nerve endings or candy floss under a microscope. But what the inside of the TARDIS really reminded Rose of was the ferry she and her mum had taken to France when she was eight, and they'd sat there in what could have been a shopping centre, except for the hidden engines vibrating everything from the tea in their flasks to little Rose's little bones. That was what it was like being in the TARDIS. She'd had chips here. They'd hooked her MP3 player up to the console and blasted Destiny's Child across the cold vacuum of space. But you never stopped feeling that vibration. You never forgot you were crossing a deep and dangerous sea. Silly, the doctor repeated, his new face scrunching around the word as if someone had soaked it in lemon juice. Silly? No, 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 it's not silly. It's theatre. You can be anything you want with theatre. He grinned suddenly. Buy a ticket to hear someone lie. It's glorious. Rose wasn't used to that smile. Her doctor, her first doctor, had worry etched so deep in his face that it seemed to eclipse anything else he might be feeling. Part of that was just his face. That wonderful, ridiculous face. Like one of those eternally surprised birds of prey you saw on nature shows. And part of it had just been him. Him and his memories. The memories he couldn't run from, no matter how far he fled. This doctor, however, was different. Far more at ease. Like he'd changed those memories the way he'd changed his clothes. And they'd been on such a breathless whirl of adventure these last few weeks that there were moments, amid the running and the peril and the excitement, when Rose was troubled to find herself forgetting too. Forgetting that the reason the doctor had a new face at all was because he had sacrificed his old one for her. Come on, doctor, she said, shoving the thought to the back of her head. All that running around. Oh, yes, he is. Oh, no, he isn't stuff. The doctor raised an eyebrow. She arched hers. He's behind you, 
they warbled in unison, then fell about laughing. Well, they usually are behind you, the doctor added, when their cackling had died down. That's just sound life advice, but come on, how can anyone hate Panto? Rose sighed. Jericho Street Junior School, she said. We were the only school around with a proper auditorium, so we did all the Christmas plays. I was playing the angel Gabriel, the narrator basically, and... She blushed. I was eight, okay? And I panicked. All those faces looking at me, expecting me to know what to say, and I... just choked. I think if the teacher hadn't come to take me off the stage, I'd still be standing there frozen. Haven't been in a theatre since. Oh, Rose, the doctor said. I'm so sorry. She shrugged. It's fine. Of course you love Panto. You're basically living in one. Doctor, why are you looking at me like that? I've just had an idea. He spun away from her, fingers dancing across the controls, and Rose grabbed a railing as the TARDIS began to heave and growl, a ship turning into the storm. There's a Christmas I've been meaning to visit, a play I've been meaning to see. Course set, he bounded past her as the deck of the timeship rolled and shook. Mind her for me for a second, will you? Um, Rose gave the console a wary look. It had only been a couple of weeks since they'd faced the Dalek Emperor. Since Rose had stared into the TARDIS's heart and absorbed a power no human could survive, until the Doctor had taken it from her. Have you forgiven me yet? She asked it silently. I wouldn't blame you if you... Rose? She turned. It had helped her in the weeks since the Doctor's regeneration to focus on the similarities between one incarnation and the next. The differences were obvious. Her first Doctor had been all angles and scruffy grace. He was quick to laugh and even quicker to frown. He was very kind, and he was very angry, and he never seemed sure which he was going to be from one moment to the next. This doctor was a little more... settled. Not older, not his face, anyway. He had the face of someone who might have spent the early 2000s in a boy band, the one who did all the earnest singing, while everyone else in the music video got to laugh or ride mopeds. So, not settled, then. Maybe more set, less fragile, those deep blind worries smoothed away. Also, she saw, he was now wearing a tuxedo. How did you change into that so fast, she said, finding to her shock that she was blushing again. Time Lord, he offered airily. Would you like one too? He held out his hand. She hesitated, then took it. Even his hands felt different. Okay, she said. Above them, the electric blue pistons rose and fell. What are we going to see? The Saga of the Time Lords. This Christmas, an ancient species rises, thrives and passes into legend before your very eyes, or equivalent sensory organ. No interval. Imagine a Christmas ornament the size of the moon. A scarlet sphere dusted with sparkles, each one a spotlight the size of a swimming pool that sends spears of light out into the dark, flashing and spinning and flashing again, as if signalling the stars to land. And atop the great glittering orb, 
a palace, glowing in crimson and shining gold. Welcome, the doctor said grandly, to the Mask Majestrix. They set the TARDIS down between a blocky Jadoon patrol ship and a sleek draconian cruiser, then made their way up the curving plain to the palace. Its gleaming gates were alive with flashing scarlet words. Witness their marvels, exclaim at their triumphs, speculate on their mysterious disappearance. Around them, other patrons milled about and chatted in a riot of shapes and species. Hulking reptiles in plate armour waved great two-handed blades, arguing for exemption from the mask's anti-weapon laws. A group of 30-foot-tall tripods patiently waited in line at one of a hundred floating concession stands. And yet, for all the strange and wonderful creatures on display, and despite the glowing starfield above them and the crimson alien landscape, it all felt oddly familiar. A cluster of chittering larvae squeaked to each other like excited children on a school trip. A girl in a gleaming mask made delicate notes in the corner of her programme. Two huge dragons dipped their leathery snouts in fizzing, smoking glasses, clinging to each other with the fragile delight of newlyweds. It felt just like waiting for a show to begin on Earth. Admittedly, Jericho Street Junior School had fewer spaceships in orbit and smelled a lot more like school dinners, but it never failed to impress Rose how, no matter how far they travelled, certain things turned out to be the same. Similarities, she thought, as the Time Lord beside her patted his pockets, muttering to himself about jelly babies. That's how you hold on all the way out here. The Saga of the Time Lords, Rose repeated, as the play's title flashed up once again. Isn't this a bit like watching a home movie for you? She looked around. With really high production values? From what I've heard, it's more like fan fiction, the Doctor said. And don't get me wrong, I love fan fiction. You should read some of mine. But I sincerely doubt anybody here has ever actually met a Time Lord, let alone been to Gallifrey. So it's not going to be accurate, Rose said. Accurate? The Doctor snorted. I hope not. I came here to be lied to, Rose Tyler. I mean, look at that. He pointed up at the glowing scarlet words, now announcing cast members and the Time Lords they were playing. Remiere Dupont as Rassilon, the dashing Cambo Raimi as Brother Braxiatel, and Shara Betamax as the Hand of Meg. Next were some safety warnings. Do not attend if suffering from the following. Chronal displacement, electromagnetic angst, scurvy. And beneath it all, two simple words. Famously unfinished. Theatre in a nutshell, that is, the doctor said with a grin. It's only in show business that famously unfinished becomes a selling point. Like proudly announcing you haven't done your homework. Something like sadness flickered across his face. Even if it's not true. Doctor? Well, for a moment he looked like her old doctor, tired and lonely and a little angry at it all. The saga is over, isn't it? Greetings, entities. May I scan your purchase confirmation and provide your tickets? A primly smiling holographic attendant fizzed into view in front of them, flickering like a fluorescent ghost. His features were human, or Time Lord, Rose supposed, 
and he wore an ornate robe with a collar so high and curved he looked like a very dignified dessert spoon. God, you were right about the accuracy, Rose said behind her hand, trying to lighten the mood. Is that what they think Time Lords wore? The doctor cleared his throat. <clears throat> Here you are. He held up his psychic paper and the ghostly attendant looked at it closely before clapping both hands together in a soundless drizzle of sparks. Forgive me, Doctor. I was not informed you would be attending. Rose and the Doctor exchanged glances. What are you betting? she murmured under her breath. Psychic paper was supposed to display whatever credentials its bearer required. The doctors, however, tended to be a little more creative in the roles it assigned. Private investigators here for a murder? Oh, I'd say it's much worse than that, the doctor responded. Probably diplomats here to prevent an interstellar war. The holographic attendant beamed, executing a perfect bow. To have the galaxy's preeminent expert on Gallifreyan culture attend our little show is such an honour. The doctor beamed back. Well, I, Dr. Tyler, the attendant finished. The doctor's smile disappeared. Don't mention it, Rose said, grinning. Really? Oh, but it is, the attendant continued. He squinted at the psychic paper still in the doctor's outstretched hand. Dr. Rose Tyler, expert in time vortexes and, he frowned, lupine morality. The doctor gave the psychic paper an experimental shake. Rose, I think you might be confusing the paper. Side effects of the vortex, maybe. It thinks you're a little bit time, Lord. The attendant's brow furrowed in confusion. But before he could speak... A great chime rang through the air. More and more holographic attendants were shimmering into view. The glowing words were flashing faster now, almost strobing. It seemed the show was about to begin. Dr Tyler? The attendant's expression had gone from welcoming to shrewd, his fingers dancing over a console on his wrist. I have just consulted with my superiors and they have conveyed to me a very generous offer. How would you like a backstage tour? The doctor held up his hands. Oh, we wouldn't like to get in the way. Oh, not at all. And I don't mind telling you that a recommendation from such a respected expert of Gallifrey and culture would do wonders for our reviews. He looked at his console again. Perhaps I could even introduce you to Ms. Betamax herself. Even as he spoke, the name Shara Betamax appeared again in type so large it barely fitted on the screen. Even Rose knew that, in panto speak, that meant the actor named was a big deal. Rose pretended to think for a moment. Can I wear one of the silly collars? A pained look crossed the doctor's face. I'm sure that can be arranged the attendant said. He snapped his fingers and two thin plastic rectangles materialised before them. Please take your tickets. Do not misplace them as they are used for the teleportation lock. Teleportation lock? Rose asked. Oh yes, the doctor said as the other patrons around them began to vanish. 
Everyone knows the worst part of going to the theatre is having to climb over people to your seat. That's why now it's all done by... All of a sudden, both Rose and the Doctor turned sideways and disappeared. There was a dark and weightless moment, a feeling that was a little like being in an elevator and a little like being in love, and then Rose was abruptly unsidewayed like a paper hat from a Christmas cracker. The golden palace and crowds of theatre-goers were gone. So, Rose realised, was the Doctor. She was alone. Alone in a rather ordinary-looking storeroom, which was by itself not a reason to panic. Rose had spent enough time backstage, before what her mum called her little acting hiccup, to know that the guilt and sparkles always faced out. The inside of a theatre, the real inside, the bit the audience never saw, tended to be mostly peeling floor tiles and cardboard boxes. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem, she decided, was all the Daleks staring at her. Hello, came a voice in clipped, arch tones. You must be the expert. In theatres across the universe, it is common to have a code for when an important person is in the audience. This important person might be a critic or a famous actor or a casting agent looking for the next great star. Throughout the mask Majestrix, the message was conveyed. Flesh melted and ran. New faces were prepared. The correct audience had been detected. After so long, the show could begin. More tea, my darling. Rose nodded raptly. She was dimly aware that this probably wasn't the time for conversation. Someone or something had neatly separated her from the doctor. She had been teleported into the middle of a hundred Daleks. Admittedly, they were prop Daleks, but this was not Rose's first outing. Something was definitely afoot. Unfortunately, it was rather hard to focus on this while Shara Betamax was in the room. Shara Betamax, whose performance in The Empress Maudlin had spawned a new religion overnight. Shara Betamax, who had played the famous outlaw Noon Speranza with such grace that afterwards every script had been gathered up and fired into a sun so that no lesser actor could ever sully the role. Shara Betamax, who had been cast as the lead in the saga of the Time Lords precisely because she could steal the show from a hundred Daleks. Shara Betamax, who had the magnetism of a dwarf alloy star. She was small and she was slight, and each of her many wrinkles was as effortlessly elegant as the veins in polished marble. I never used to pour my own tea, she explained, each word somehow sharp and soft at the same time. Normally a show would furnish me with an assistant, sometimes two. Alas, that was in better days. Now, she sighed a perfect sigh, now I do panto. I'm not much of a fan either, Rose said. She couldn't think of anything else to say, and it was far easier and more pleasant just to listen. Shara Betamax had that kind of voice. You could have cut up her syllables and used them as currency. Madam Betamax, the woman who popped her head round the doorframe, was dressed exactly like Shara, her silver robes crowned by one of those dessert spoon headdresses. 
She held a walkie-talkie in her hand. Three minutes until curtain up, she said. Gabardine though, Shara explained, my understudy. Gabardine, this is Dr. Tyler, an expert in Time Lords, who management rather rudely teleported in on top of me. Rose started to apologise, but the actor shook her head minutely. Even her scorn was stately. Not your fault, my darling. The trials of my reduced station. She trailed off, confusion crinkling her brow. Gabardine, what's the matter? The understudy had begun to shake. Her fingers drummed on the doorframe. Something moved under her features, distorting them the way the passage of a shark ripples water. Time Lord, Gabardine whispered through gritted teeth. Time Lord! And then her features dissolved into a swirl of flesh. Rose and Shara watched in horror as Gabardine's face became a foaming soup, her chin collapsing inwards, sucking in her hair like seaweed down a drain. More whirlpools of skin opened in her stomach and palms, joining and spreading, until her whole body was a bubbling upright jacuzzi full of boiling... similarities. Plastic, Rose whispered, then grabbed Shara Betamax as respectfully as she could. We need to get out of here, they bolted. Behind them, the Auton screamed a trilling, atonal scream. As Rose Tyler and Shara Betamax ran, the saga of the Time Lords began. Rose knew the play had started because, as they had fled from the storeroom, just one step ahead of the staggering, slavering Auton, the loudest orchestra she had ever heard opened up seemingly right above their heads. The noise was unbelievable. It physically vibrated her, like a struck bell. Rose swayed for a moment, reeling at the assault, before she remembered that she was fleeing and really should keep fleeing. It probably sounded very good if you were a few rows back, but at the minute all she could think was that she'd been in quieter air raids. Shara grabbed her arm and pulled, dragging Rose through a set of double doors. The din immediately lessened, though Rose's head still rang. She saw a mess of couches and tables and realised they were in a green room somewhere for cast and crew to wait in between being called on stage. The scatter of cups and plates on the tables gave the sense that the room had been very recently and suddenly evacuated. But whether that was because the saga had started or because people were turning into autons, Rose wasn't sure. Help me with this, Shara said, and the two of them pushed a couch in front of the doors they had just come through. They were just in time. As soon as they stepped backwards, the whole doorframe jumped, shaking under the wet pounding of two plasticky fists. Good thinking, Rose said. Shara Betamax tutted. Did not the Empress Maudlin defend the gate of her castle for three days, armed with only a phase sword and a hypershield? I don't know, Rose said. Did she? No, actually, Shara said. But I did when I was playing her, which is... Roughly the same thing. Her brief look of amusement disappeared. That was Gabardy. We've been rehearsing together all year. I was talking her through a divorce, and she just... changed. It wasn't Gabardine, Rose said. It was an Auton. They like duplicating people. Was Gabardine sick recently? Absent? Not a day, 
Shara said, shaking her head. We've been in each other's pockets for months. The look of queenly composure she had worn from the moment Rose had met her faltered. Do you... do you think the real Gabardine is alive, somewhere? Rose placed a hand on Shara's shoulder, shocked at just how small and thin it was. It's very possible. Then we need to figure out what this Auton wants, the older woman said firmly, and stop it. Them, Rose said faintly. Stop them. It's usually a them situation. A chill went through her. And as for what they want... Forgive me, Doctor. I was not informed you would be attending. The error in the psychic paper that had teleported Rose right into the path of an auton. The look on Gabardine's face, just before it had ceased to be a face and became a sucking nightmare swirl. Time Lord. That was what it had said. Time Lord. I think they're after my friend, Rose said. The doctor. The real doctor. The doors jumped again, so violently the couch was shoved a couple of centimetres back before they could write it. We need to find him, Rose said. She looked around. There was another set of double doors identical to the ones they had just come through, and a metal service elevator. Do you know where we are? Shara nodded. It's a simple layout, one circle on top of another. Above us is the stage. This level is all storage and dressing rooms. Through there, she pointed at the other set of double doors, is the system control room. Rose's eyes narrowed. Is that where the teleporter controls are? Yes. Betamax stiffened, as the cacophony above changed in tone. That's the overture finishing. I'm expected on stage soon. Life and death situations tended to provoke a lot of odd reactions, but even to Rose this was a new one. You can't seriously be thinking of going out there to act, can you? The doors shook again, the auton keening against them with a fierce animal need. The show must go on, my darling, Shara said. You don't understand. I'm playing the hand of Meg, the most important and mysterious figure in the Time Lord's origin story. It's the only role in this circus worth playing. My agent had to literally kill people to get it. Rose blanched. Really? Shara shrugged. Runner-up on Dancing with the Stars. No one minded. But it is my role and I must play it. I need to be there to invent time travel. Otherwise Rassilon can't betray me and lock me away in Harmony's eye. It will ruin the whole second act. There was genuine panic on her face. I understand, Rose said as the auton pushed its stretched toffee thumb of a head through the join between the doors, gnarling at them through a melting mouth. And she did understand. It was Jericho Street all over again. Without Shara saying her lines, nobody else could say theirs. Rose sighed. I can't believe I'm saying this, but if you can just get me to the control room, I'll find my friend. He can stop this and the show can go on. Okay? Shara nodded, actual tears in her eyes. She really is very good, Rose thought. Thank you, Shara whispered. It's through here. 
they made their way to the second set of double doors across the room, flinching as, inch by creaking inch, the auton forced the doors behind them open. Rose's mind was racing. When had Gabardine been replaced? The last autons she had faced hadn't exactly been experts at complex mimicry, and you didn't get more complex mimicry than the saga of the Time Lords. How long had they been here? Actors playing actors, waiting for the right person to arrive. Waiting for the doctor. Just as Rose had the thought, the elevator pinged. She and Shara turned to see two human stagehands in dark outfits step into the room. Both stagehands froze in horror at the sight of the bubbling, snarling Auton halfway through the blocked doorway. Oh, thank heavens, Shara said. Gentlemen, please. Their eyes locked onto Rose. Time Lord, they hissed in unison. This time Rose didn't wait to get a proper look. She just bolted, wincing at the liquid sounds of warping flesh behind her. The double doors led out into another long, dingy corridor, with more doors leading off it every few metres. It was some consolation that the saga had apparently reached a quiet bit, with a single male voice, rather than an entire orchestra rattling the architecture. That was ribald, Shara panted beside Rose. She even ran in a dignified fashion, like a startled flamingo. And Mern, I've signed... Autographs for them. Ribald puts me in my harness for the scene when I fall into the black hole. I know them. They're not who you think they are, Rose said. I'm not sure anyone here is. Judging by the size and scale of the production, there could be dozens of autons out there. Why couldn't we have gone to a one-woman show? That way, Shara said, pointing at a door with a red light above it. As, behind them, their three pursuers burst into the corridor in a chewing gum tangle of grasping plastic hands. The control room was small and square, and had that very deliberate clutter so often present in control rooms and workshops and garages, anywhere that very serious men and women wore tool belts and organised screws by size and weight. Rose recognised it immediately from the TARDIS. Unfortunately, most of the room was covered in auton, a great heaving mass the size of an elephant, if someone had spread an elephant like butter across one half of the room. Hands stuck out at odd angles. Faces, too, some human-sized and looking extremely perturbed, and others stretched out across the groaning bulk like distorted toffee sculptures. It would have been horrific if it hadn't all been clean and waxy plastic. As it was, it reminded Rose of the time she had tried to give her dolls a tan by putting them in the microwave. Time Lord! It roared through twelve mouths at once. Time Lord! I'm really not, Rose snapped back. There might have been controls somewhere under the throbbing gargantuan bulk, but there was no way Rose was going to go fishing for them. Betamax had pressed herself against the door they had come through but already her feet were slipping and scraping as the autons outside tried to get in. I hate the theatre, Rose thought, then jumped as something twitched in her jacket. She reached into her pocket and pulled out her plastic ticket. It was tremoring so fast, it was almost a blur. 
the Auton beast reared above her, drawing its great soupy mass into a tsunami of smooth plastic flesh. The faces that still had eyes narrowed them, and the mouths that could open screamed at the top of their lungs. Time, Lord! And then it turned sideways and disappeared. In its place, looking rather dishevelled, was the doctor. Teleportation, he said, then blinked. Sorry, feels a bit weird if you don't finish the line. He blinked again, blearily, then whipped out his sonic screwdriver to point at the door. There was a deep clunk as it locked itself. Tentatively, Betamax stepped away. It didn't budge. Much better, he said, then shot Rose a wry glance. And some people say the theatre is boring. Rose threw her ticket at him. He snagged it out of the air with infuriating grace and held it up to the light. Brilliant things, these. At first I thought there was a malfunction, but by the third time I materialised inside a stationary cupboard, I began to suspect someone was trying to separate us. Then how? Rose began, but the doctor had already tossed her back the ticket. I used the psychic paper to get us the tickets, and the tickets are all connected to the teleporter array. I backtracked that link to take control and to find you. Simple. He tapped a finger against his lip. Well, actually, it was incredibly complicated, but that explanation was really simple. Love a simple explanation. He looked a little sheepish, especially since it covers up the fact that I may have teleported a very large auton to a very small stationary cupboard. But that's a tomorrow problem. He suddenly swept by Rose, bending his stork-like frame to gently kiss Shara Betamax's hand. Shara Betamax! Loved you as Noon Speranza. You know, I played Omega myself in a school play once. Female version too, actually. Doctor, Rose said. Autons? Yes, he said, suddenly serious. It's not just the engineers, is it? It could be everyone, Rose said. Understudies, stagehands. According to Shara, they've all been perfectly normal for ages until... The door shuddered. The tiles on the floor began to buckle and shift as thick liquid pushed up from underneath. Until a Time Lord arrived, the doctor said. That was the trigger. The Autons kidnapped these people, replicated them, and have been mimicking them so closely that they might have genuinely believed they were those people until we showed up. Actors believing their actors. Actors waiting for their cue. This isn't a play, Rose said watching the seeping, creeping fluid grow a mouth and snarl. It's a trap, waiting for a Time Lord to show up and spring it. And now there's who knows how many in between us and the TARDIS, the Doctor said. And Autons don't stop. They never stop. Jara? The actor had sunk to the floor, wrapping her thin arms round herself. All that work, she said. All those rehearsals. And now it's all going to come grinding to a halt in front of a million people. Shara, Rose said gently, it isn't about the play anymore. It's about... That's it, the doctor said. Oh, Rose Tyler, you absolute genius. Thank you, Rose said. Wait, what? These Autons have been in deep cover for who knows how long he explained, rehearsing, practising, living the saga of the Time Lords over and over again to get it right. 
That kind of complex mimicry leaves an effect. It etches the plastic. That's why they're coming apart so badly. They're resisting. Doctor, what are you talking about? You remember what it was like, don't you? He said, walking that stage, learning those lines, drilling it again and again, until the line between who you are and who you play starts to blur. I remember freezing, Rose said. I remember panicking because I didn't know what to say next. I know, the doctor said, and I'm sorry. Why? Because, he said, the show must go on. I don't like this at all, Rose whispered. It turned out that high Gallifreyan robes were extremely heavy. She had to keep them hitched up so she didn't trip, and the headdress kept making her think someone was behind her. I'd do it if I could, the doctor said, adjusting her collar one last time. They'd retreated to the corner of the control room, the floor now shaking and buckling as, like floodwater, the Autons tried to push through. Even as Rose and the doctor watched, a tile popped free and grit-flecked plastic began to ooze from the gap. But they sensed the vortex energy on you. To them, you're the Time Lord. That's the role they've given you and you have to play it. Do you remember your lines? I do. She'd watched him write them on a scrap of paper and he'd reminded her of nothing so much as one of the Autons, his face scarily blank but for the flickers of something alien moving underneath. The fact that writing those lines, accessing those memories, had so obviously hurt him, was what had made her agree to this in the first place. Shara Betamax was a lot smaller and frailer without the bulky robe, but the look she gave Rose was worthy of several empresses. You're going to be fantastic, my darling. Break a leg! That was Rose's cue. The doctor pointed his sonic screwdriver at the teleporter controls and, with one last look at the bubbling, growling flood making its way towards her friends, Rose turned sideways and disappeared. When she snapped back into shape, she was standing centre stage. Similarities, she told herself, through the sudden and absolute terror. It's just like the stage at Jericho Street. Except it wasn't. It really, really wasn't. Rose and the Doctor had been teleported away before they had got a proper look at the inside of the Mask Majestrix. She had thought the Golden Palace that topped the Scarlet Sphere was the theatre, but she'd been wrong. The Sphere was the theatre. A hollow globe lined with a hundred thousand rows of seats, curving up and away on all sides. Miles of seats. Millions of seats. Millions of eyes staring down at Rose, as numerous as the stars in the sky. It was so overwhelming that she could barely take in the majesty of the stage itself. A great circle covering the bottom of the sphere, vanishing off into the gloom. Rose must have arrived during an exciting bit of the saga. Maybe it was all exciting. She hadn't really had time to speculate. She was not the only person on stage by a long shot. There were holographic TARDISes flickering in and out of sight. There were projected constellations that would have made any Earth astronomer need to lie down in a dark room. There were rust-red outcrops and golden cities 
and a choir a hundred strong in robes of white and gold. It is I, a voice roared. Rose turned to see a large man in black robes, his voice as deep and smooth as a wardrobe made of chocolate. Rassilon, the president of time. He stood on a floating platform, a great spiked claw on one hand. And I shall build an empire that lasts for ten million. His eyes fell on Rose. Ten million! The choir had seen her too. Some were murmuring. Others, she noticed, were beginning to twitch and shake as the sight of Rose triggered their Auton programming. A wing of holographic TARDISes above paused mid-dive. The orchestra cut off suddenly with a skidding, shrilling shriek. Um, Rose said. Ah, uh, oh God, it was Jericho Street all over again. The terror, the uncertainty, the ice in her veins spreading and spilling out to everyone else like frost covering the surface of a lake. It was, she decided, a lot like the feeling you got when you missed a step on the stairs. But in front of a live audience. Rassilon, no, the actor playing Rassilon, Remier something, began to froth and dissolve. He took a staggering step towards her, claw outstretched. And just when it felt like the silence couldn't stretch any longer, Rose began to speak. She spoke of eons, of knowledge cut from the meat of the cosmos and pulled from the heart of black holes. She spoke of shining jewels and binary stars and golden cities under orange skies. She spoke of how majestic a civilization could be when you gave them all the time in the world. Every face was turned towards her, swirling as if stirred by her words. Some of what Rose said was what the doctor had told her to say, the lines he had prepared. But as she gained confidence, stepping out into the light of the holographic suns, she found words welling up inside her that demanded to be said. Some were her doctor's words, her first doctor's, fresh in their pain. Others were scraps she had overheard, rumours of the later years, the harder years, the years when Gallifrey's arrogance and bravado had come home to roost. The Time Lords had all the time in the world, but the younger races, bright in their jealousy, lived more in their short time than any child of Gallifrey. Bar one. Rose didn't have Shara's voice, or Remier's, a voice with gravity, a voice that drew you in. She hesitated. She halted. She became aware, crushingly so, of her dry throat, of every swallow and gap. But somehow, it didn't matter. People went to the theatre for lies. But Rose told them the truth. Finally, she spoke of the ending. Of a moment. A single, simple moment that was the culmination of all that had gone before it. The way a story was not finished until the last line fell into place. The moment the Time Lord's saga ended and left a single soul alone. The great hungry vacuum of the mask swallowed Rose's words then swallowed her silence, until there was nothing at all but the eyes of the audience and her soft and ragged breath. 
and then the whole theatre burst into thunderous applause. The clamour was louder than the orchestra, but Rose didn't mind it as much. It beat down on her, like summer rain, and Rose closed her eyes and let it, feeling helpless and invincible and about eight years old. When she opened her eyes, Remier was beside her. His face had resolved, all hard and handsome angles, and he took her hand in one of his own. They bowed. It was what you did when a show was complete. Eventually, Rose raised her head. Remier did not. The singers in the choir of Autons were slumping, sliding out of their robes in rivers of flesh. The audience's applause was still shaking the theatre. They evidently hadn't noticed. Perhaps they thought it was part of the show. I suppose it is. Rose saw the doctor and Shara sitting in the front row. Shara was clapping, a small dignified smile on her features. And the doctor was smiling too, though tears ran from his face. Her doctor. Her sad, happy doctor. He hadn't changed a bit. Are you sure you don't want to lift somewhere? They had retreated into the green room, the floor littered with frozen puddles of deactivated auton. Apparently there was quite a queue for autographs outside. Shara shook her head. She'd re-donned her robe. It suited her. I think I'm going to stay here. We still have to find where the auton stowed the people they mimicked. And I want to make sure they're all right. And get back to rehearsing, obviously. I thought you didn't like Panto, Rose said. A faint blush suffused Shara's features. Well, I must admit, there is something about the spectacle. A sort of gaudy, horrific charm. And after a few rewrites, I think the saga of the Time Lords might be something really rather special. She cast a shrewd eye at Rose. Especially if I could tempt you to a repeat performance. Not even a little bit, Rose said, but thank you. It was lovely to meet you. And you, Shara said, clasping Rose's hands in her own. Both of you, very well done. She swept out of the green room. Doctor, Rose began. I have two questions. Hmm? Firstly, is Dancing with the Stars actually still on? Oh, yes, the doctor said. Though now it's Dancing with Actual Stars. Massive fatality, right? What was your second question? Rose nodded at the doors through which Shara had just departed. Do you think... Well, the doctor said, the Autons were mimicking those actors so closely that their need to finish the show actually overrode their innate programming. You pretend to be someone for long enough, it can be hard to stop. He leaned in conspiratorially. Plus, the real Shara Betamax once walked out halfway through a performance because the green room didn't have the right flavour of tea. I have to say, this Shara seems a lot more invested in her fellow actors. So, what happens when the real Shara wakes up? I don't know the doctor said, but I hope they sell tickets. After they had both finished cackling, Rose reached out and took his hand. It's not over, you know, she said. What's not? 
the saga of the Time Lords. You're still writing it. He took her hand. We both are, Rose Tyler. They twirled each other and grinned. The show goes on. After. What did you think of the ending? The girl asked, adjusting the fit of her delicate golden mask. The theatre was empty now, the seats deserted but for a host of ant-like cleaning droids. The unkind glare of the house lights picked out every stain and tear, another sight no ticket buyer was ever meant to see. I think employing autons to lure out survivors of the war was risky, the young man said. He had removed his silver mask and put it down on the seat beside him. Sometime earlier, a cleaning droid had whirred too close and made the fatal mistake of looking into his face. Now it spun mindlessly in circles, making little whimpering noises, its optical sensors clawed out. We have bigger concerns, the girl sniffed. Only a Time Lord could wipe out a trillion timelines and then try to use that to make you feel sorry for them later. As she spoke, she flickered like a bad edit, a bleached negative that sizzled and cracked before becoming whole again. Time Lords have always been self-obsessed, the young man said, impatient to be gone. It'll be the end of them. It was impossible to see beneath the girl's mask, but he knew that she was smiling. Not if I get there first, she said.